Welcome to Oyana, a teenager's journey to self-love. Our mission is to inspire, educate and empower helping teenagers and parents to navigate through life and connect with their inner self. I'm your host and transformational coach, Carol Oakley, and thank you for tuning in. And thank you always, always for your support and for your time. Now, today I have Kelly, who is an autistic author writing autistic protagonists. Now, Kelly is here to talk about autism and its lack of representation. So without without further ado, let me say hello to Kelly. Hey, Kelly, how you doing? Hello, hello. How, how's Connecticut? <laughs> um, right now, um... Like Already my office are. is a little bit dark, but I got some uh, some daylight coming in, which mm-hmm. you know isn't always isn't always the case. Uh, we have a lot of cloudy weather, a lot. Yeah, is it quite warm there now? What's the temperature there now? Oh, um, I was just out on errands, but I was mostly in the car, so yeah. it was nice in the car. It's a nice AC in the car, but um, summers in my state usually hover in like the uh, the 80s range we sometimes get like 90 degree spikes when it's like 90 degrees we're like oh no this is not gonna work um but yeah no we're we're generally a pretty cold climate so the summer catches at least me off guard like no this isn't how it's supposed to be where's the snow i want it back (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like you're having a summer you know it does sound like you're having a summer and you're having wonderful and beautiful weather now you know, as always, I, I always say, you know, let's just go with the flow, you know, and let's see where the conversation takes us. Yeah, let's just have a little bit of fun as we, you know, as we go along as well. Um, so can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background, please? Yeah. Um, so as you said, my name is Kelly. I am currently a college student. I'm going to be entering my, my last year of my four-year uh, degree program. Um, I... As you said, I am autistic. I was diagnosed in uh, 2014 when I was 13, technically 13 and a half, but no one counts half years. So we're going to like okay. round down. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're 20 now, if my calculations yeah. are right. Yeah, you're I'm, 20. I'm, you're, yes. I'm 20. I'm going to be 21 soon, but oh. not not quite yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fantastic. And um, you said that obviously you're um, autistic. For our mm-hmm. listeners that don't know about autism. Do you want to share a little bit about what autism is? Yeah. Um, So autism is a difference in how the brain was developed. Um, If somebody is born autistic, then that's just how they are. The same way that someone is born with uh, neurotypicalism or born with like blonde hair. Although I know hair is a bad example because babies' hair change wildly. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But so it often affects um, people's ability to read facial expressions, people's ability to um, empathize with others. Mm-hmm. Um, I say often because it's what's called a, a spectrum disorder, That's right. where there are a ton of different symptoms and no one has every single symptom because some of them are uh, contradictory. Like yes. someone could be like um, undersensitive to stimuli, but someone could also be oversensitive to stimuli. So you, you can't get all of them it's yeah. like a it's, it's like a, to each to each each person isn't it you know? yeah it's like a it's like a, a, a cafeteria line they're not gonna let you take everything from the cafeteria you got you got to pick and choose you got to be selective that's um, right 
That's right. Because there's, um, actually, I mean, you sort of mentioned it, mentioned a couple there, but I also understand, and this is only just because my, as I mentioned, sort of off, off uh, record, my brother's autistic um, and he got diagnosed that very sort of later on in life, in later on in life. But I know that some of the sort of conditions are like, obviously it's like social skills. Um, am I right in saying that also repetitive yeah. behaviours? speech yeah. and like nonverbal um communication as well mm-hmm. yeah so there's a whole spectrum of them as, as you said and um autism and it's also known as asd isn't it it's sort of mm-hmm. is it autism spectrum disorder yeah yep. this is just for obviously our listeners that i'm not you know i'm not familiar with some uh, people may have heard of the diagnosis um uh asperger's um yes. which um, in 2013, I know this because this was a big deal when it happened, mm. uh, that category was just collapsed into autism spectrum disorder. So the people who had that previous diagnosis would yeah. probably be considered uh, ASD level one, uh-huh. which would be considered like the least severity out of a one to three scale. That's it. So if yeah. you've heard that term, it, it still exists. Yeah. But um, that's the, as in the people did not just <laughs> Thanos snap out of existence. Yeah. It's not how it happened. Yeah. Um, that is the, but, that's the milder form, as you said, isn't it? That's like yeah. number one. And then, um, yeah. um, and then there's autism. And I don't know if you've in America, they, you hear of this term as well. There's also pervasive development disorder. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also part of the spectrum as well, isn't it? Yeah, they took a bunch of, uh, for DSM-5, which came out in 2013, uh-huh. um, they took a bunch of uh, diagnoses and said, well, these were really small diagnoses, not a lot of clinicians were using them, so we're just going to collapse them into one larger diagnosis to hopefully um, get more people the diagnosis that they need to access support. That was the intention behind it. Now, there is yeah. debate over know did that work but it came from a good place it uh-huh. wasn't like they were like oh man this is an ugly number of diagnoses our goal is to get a nice even number uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and pull it under one umbrella <laughs> yeah brilliant so you said you were diagnosed at 13 14 yes so what um I guess obviously there was something that um that triggered that obviously mm-hmm. you know what was that tell us about that journey before you were diagnosed so like growing up I had the advantage for reference I am one of three children in my family my youngest brother was diagnosed with ASD at age two um they were waiting for the explosion of language is what they called it it didn't happen so they were like okay this is not a typically developing child Uh um so he was diagnosed at age two my twin brother um, had a diagnosis of what's called a PDD NOS, mm-hmm. pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. It's okay. What, what a fun disorder. It's basically, they don't know what's up, but they know you're not neurotypical. So okay. they're like, here you go. Here's the information <laughs> we have. Uh-huh. Um, he had that, um, diagnosis, I think since age five, mm-hmm. um, something. And that didn't crystallize into, into, uh, ASD until, age 10 or 11 uh, for any American viewers I was like fifth grade yes um which is a transition year you you notice um it'd be like oh he got a diagnosis in kindergarten and mm-hmm. then it crystallized into another diagnosis when he went into middle school transition years are rough for any child uh, especially a neurodiverse child yes um so 
my story also came about in a time of transition. So I had a sense that I wasn't like other kids, but um, my thought was the reason I'm not like other kids is because I'm so much smarter than the masses. Um, okay. <laughs> I was, I was um, recommended for my school's uh, gifted and talented program. Okay. So mm -hmm. I got that referral um, at age eight in third grade. And I entered that program the year after when I was nine um, mm -hmm. in fourth grade. So the, the feeling in the back of my mind of I'm different seemed to have an answer that, oh, it's just, you're so gifted and talented and everyone else is just blah, just mm -hmm. normal. Um, so that was my idea. Even when kids would say to me, like, you're so weird. Um, I was like, well, they're just jealous because I am the best. Um, okay. <laughs> up to the point where um, for high school, mm -hmm. um, my family was looking into private high school options. I, in middle school, there were so many more people in the classrooms, people running along the ha hallway. I didn't feel comfortable. And we had the financial means, uh, fortunately enough to say, let's see if we can find some other high schools uh, in our area. So the, init the mi initial meeting I went to was for an educational consultant. Um, and within the first five minutes, she said, have you had Kelly tested? Tested for, for ASD. I, I did something mm -hmm. um, that was immediately like, hmm. If I were to guess, it was that I was talking uh, about Pokemon the entire time. Uh -huh. um, perhaps not something for a 13-year-old who had been told what this appointment was about. Um, and I guess I didn't look at her in the eyes the whole time, which isn't something that keys in my brain as something important to do, but it is important to do uh, <laughs> for neurotypical people to feel like they're being listened to. Um, my mom was like, okay, here we go again, because this was neither her third time. So she knew who, who to contact. And um, you're not supposed to, for pediatric diagnoses, you're not supposed to tell the child exactly what's going on because you want to make sure the developmental testing is a accurate reflection of the child's abilities. Sure. So if a child thinks there's something wrong with them and they should like, underperform or oh, yeah. if a child thinks oh well I want this result so I'm gonna try to fit this way so my mom did not tell me what the appointment was she just said if there's an appointment today you're not gonna be able to go into school don't worry about it it's fine mm -hmm. um I on my own decided that what was going on was um I was the smartest person ever and um colleges were so interested in me that they needed to get some information about me before I even went to high school. So I must have said this to my mom and she never corrected me um, because it was a convenient story mm -hmm. about why I would be out of school all day. Um, well, spoiler alert, uh, the colleges were not uh, super excited about the next up and coming genius. Um, I, was, I was diagnosed uh, with ASD. <laughs> Wow, goodness. And how can you remember, obviously, you were, that was six years ago. How did you feel about that? I mean, yeah. How did you feel when you got that diagnosis? 
So I wasn't actually told until about a year after the mm-hmm. diagnosis um, because my, my father took the opinion that, well, she, didn't, she never had this information before, so it must not be that important. You know, yes. She doesn't really need it. And he didn't want me to feel limited by sure. the word autism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not learn about it until I was telling my mom about a personal narrative project I've been writing. And I was like, yeah, I'm writing this personal essay about how hard it is to have brothers with autism. And my mom said, you know, you have autism too, right? She was um, not supposed to have said that. <laughs> and I was like, what? I need to change my essay right now. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So you just literally slipped out and that's how you found out. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And uh, it was out. And um, yeah, my teachers had already known because part of the process of getting into a new school was here's all the paperwork. And this is relevant paperwork for instructors to know. So they all knew. Yeah. So yeah. I have to imagine my English teacher when I'm pitching this project of I'll get about how hard it is to have brothers with autism. I bet he was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so did something switch in your mind when you fi- found out? Did you like, I don't know, did you act differently or did you just think you just kind of put it, you know, swept it under the table and just continued being yourself? It was a relief. Um, since middle school and actually when that gifted and talented program ended I realized that people were still calling me weird even though I was no longer in the gifted and talented program now I still thought I was brilliant um but I was like okay well there's got to be something else here Mm -hmm. so I just thought at the time that I don't know that people were mean and I was just exceptionally nice there had to be some reason Mm -hmm. And obviously the problem wasn't me. Never once did it cross my mind that maybe people didn't like me because I was known to tattle on people. Um. Yeah, because you also had, I mean, without knowing, you know, obviously you had autism, you you had a few challenges sort of growing up. You mentioned that, you know, that you went to a birthday party. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about well, that? There's- yeah, yeah. So um we're, we're hopping around in time. Yeah. But, um, so I'm not, I, I feel like this is a universal feeling around like age seven or age eight. Um, suddenly you are no longer required to invite everyone in your class to your yeah. birthday party. Like yeah. you just start inviting your actual friends. Exactly. Um, which I <laughs> did, I didn't catch this change. Um, so last year I had been to this girl's birthday party and I didn't, I wasn't even friends with her. So I mm-hmm. wasn't like heartbroken that my friend had betrayed me. I was just, well, last year I was invited and she's still having a birthday this year. So I should be invited. Like I know where her house is. It'll be great. Um, but I heard about the birthday and again, it had happened last year. And I was like, yeah, that's about right. This is this person's birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard I heard about you know, the party she was going to have. I think she was going to have like a bounce house or something, which I didn't even like, I wasn't particularly big on bounce houses. So as I heard it, I was like, okay, not what I would have picked, but all right. Still waiting for my invitation. And, um, you know, I, I knew it would be impolite, just flat out be like, hey, where's my invitation? Um, so I was like, okay, I'm just going to wait you know, maybe, maybe they're still working on the invitations. People sometimes want to like make them all pretty. Like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to let this person, you know, introduce it as the time comes. And then uh, the invitation, my invitation uh, never came. 
And um, I was the only girl in the class not invited. So it was a girl's birthday party and none of the other boys were invited, but I was the only girl in the class uh, not invited. So at least it wasn't like everyone in the class was invited except yes. me, but I was the only girl not invited. Okay. So still flagged something as oh, okay. And um, throughout the next you know, second and third grade, this started happening more and more often. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so this isn't a one and done deal. This is a, now the rules have changed and nobody told me. Um, but um, I, I think a lot of media depiction of uh, neurodivergent kids in school, kids, uh, autistic kids, kids with ADHD, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera, is of them being like openly attacked or mocked. Like yes. no one ever went up to me and said, Kelly, I'm not inviting you to my party because I don't like you. Um, like, I don't know. That just seems a bit trite. It would be much easier, by the way, if they did do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just sitting there wondering, did my invitation get lost? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Were they moving or something and they couldn't have a birthday party this year? Um, but that was, uh, that was second grade. Um, but at that time, it kind of rolled off my back. Because, again, I didn't really like the person. So I wasn't necessarily heartbroken that I wasn't invited. I was just <laughs> more confused than anything. Yes. Uh, but something that made me angry was, um, I remember in eighth grade, I was hearing a conversation between boys on the table behind me. Um, and I could hear them. I was trying not to pay attention to them because yeah. I was trying to have my own conversation. It was sure. a little bit rude how loud they were. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> And suddenly I heard movement behind me. And one of the boys from the table behind me uh, asked me out on a date. And uh, I said no immediately. And why? Um, because I heard them making a bet about asking the weird, weird girl out. And they were pretty loud. I don't know why they assumed I couldn't hear them. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't like they were across in the hallway. They were right. Like, yeah. I was back. I'm not sure how the cafeterias are in the UK, but it's really close. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear you. We are, we are less than six feet away. We are not social distanced. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you turned him down on that, on that premise. <laughs> I, I knew it wasn't, I knew it wasn't serious, but I was also like, why, why would you make a bet about asking me out with an earshot of me and also with an earshot of my friends? Like I was having a conversation <laughs> with a friend um when this happened so fast forward because obviously that was then and you're you're here now and yeah. you know you're doing some great things you know and we will get onto your book so how can you because I like I love to give you know our listeners um advice so is there any advice that you can give to any parents who've got children um who maybe one hasn't been diagnosed what they should be looking out for I know you mentioned a few things behavioral patterns um earlier on um or autistic you know um children you know teenagers who's got autism have you got any sort of advice for, for both both camps please yeah um through parents um i heard from this other um autistic influencer that uh, society doesn't diagnose happy uh autistic people a lot of the mechanisms to get diagnosed especially within the school system are you're struggling academically or you're struggling socially. Um, so you can still be autistic and happy uh, at the same time. So I would say for parents, be more on the lookout for your child being distressed 
rather than your child acting differently compared to their peers. Okay. Because seeking some explanation for a child's difference that they're not distressed by can send the message that the difference itself is distressing. Mm, and the difference itself is something that needs to be changed or needs to be cured, um, which is a really damaging thing to be told, especially if you're a, a teen and you already, I mean, teens in general just feel they're fish out of water. And to mm-hmm. be told, yeah, you know that feeling, that insecurity you had? It's right. <laughs> you are different. Just the last thing you want to hear as a teenager. You're like, no, I'm just like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and obviously a teenager who's got autism, is there any, any advice you, you can have, you have for them? You, there are other autistic people out there. Um, mm-hmm. There are people probably in your community, considering how common uh, ASD is, um, can find other people with uh, other uh, developmental disorders. My best friend in the world has ADHD. Um, So if you can't find someone with autism, you can find someone else who probably has similar experiences, even if you're not sharing the exact same clinical diagnosis. Um, There are online communities. Obviously there are, you know, uh, things you should be careful of about being online. Don't share your real name and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I want to say, especially to people who do not have a clinical diagnosis, um, if you think that you might be autistic and you can't get a diagnosis because um, it's out of your reach financially or um, your family will not support you in seeking it out, like, yeah, you can't, you can't, if you're a minor, you can't decide, oh, I'm just going to go uh, to a psychiatrist real quick. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> they'll know um, that you are the expert on yourself. And if you think that this term describes you, then you're not threatening people with quote unquote real diagnoses by saying, hey, I think I might be autistic too. And you are welcome Uh in in the community that the truth is that getting a clinical diagnosis is not easy Mm. so it's okay if you don't have one (laughs) yeah it's just part of the process isn't it just part of the I mean regardless of if you have the clinical diagnosis if your brain is different it's still going to be different whether you're looking at it or not it's still going to be there (laughs) No, absolutely. Absolutely. And it sounds like, you know, seeking, you know, um, like, as you said, like online groups or clubs mm-hmm. that have like support people with autism is, is a, is a, you know, a good, a good thing to do. Or even just clubs that related to things we're already interested in. Um, yeah. I mentioned Pokemon before. That's something that I love and I've loved since I was seven. Um, and I've felt welcomed in communities where, you know, it's just people talking about Pokemon all the time, which is what I want to do all the time. And so I do that all the time. Um, And some of them are autistic, some of them aren't. So don't feel like, oh, because I'm autistic, I can only hang out with autistic people. Like, no, no, that's silly. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of down to, I guess for me, it's kind of like, just trying to live your the, your life as normal as as possible regardless you're of still this. you 
Yeah, you are. You, you didn't. You didn't transform into something else. Yeah. in the night. Um, exactly. So it's just living your life just as, as best as you can, and you know, and getting the support if you need that support um, to help you, you know, blossom in the way that it's like you can a, blossom. If you. If an autism diagnosis is a magnifying glass, you still the same thing, even if you take away the magnifying glass, you just yeah. might see some more details and might exactly. have some more information. Yeah. So now obviously you're older now. Are you getting a much better um, you know, reception from your friends? You know, are, do people still look at you as being, you know, quote unquote weird? This is actually where, like, I think, especially for adults who are looking for a diagnosis, having a clinical diagnosis can be really affirming because suddenly if somebody says you were weird, then you're like, well, no, I'm not weird. I'm autistic. And that kind of puts them on the, on the back pedal. Like, uh-huh. uh Oh, did I say something wrong? Like, yeah, you did. And even if I couldn't have the comeback, I'm autistic, you mm-hmm. would still be being mean. Um, yeah, I when I got my diagnosis, I told all my friends um, when I went to college, I was like, this is something I'm going to be open about um, day one. It's exhausting to try to hide who you are. And mm-hmm. if you're living with people, especially in a college setting, you know, your idiosyncrasies are going to come out. Yeah. And instead of leaving it up to people to decide for themselves, you know, what's going on here, I might as well give them a an honest explanation yeah, they can absolutely. do what they want with Wrong it. If they it. decide to be mean, they can still be mean, but at least, you know, I, I was open and honest. I did my part. I was yeah. transparent. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Honesty is the key here, isn't it? Really is. Now tell me about um, your book. Let's go on to your book, you know, yeah. because I want to hear about that. Um, it's incredible. You know, the journey that you went on to get it, um, just to just to give the listeners a little bit of um, background before you go into it. I understand that, you know, you obviously you saw an ad was it or something online. And yeah, it was yeah. A, a LinkedIn direct a LinkedIn, message. Now, it. now, uh, you know, a disclaimer, many DMs you will get on LinkedIn actually are, uh, you know, not real. Are yeah. spam. Um, so this was a, a special case where it was it was not spam. Um so yeah, it was, it was May 27th, uh, 2020. I got a DM on my LinkedIn account, um, which, you know, you want to keep updated because you're like, yeah, look at my awesome resume. I know I'm like a high school student, but I have like two years of experience. Please hire me for more. Um, <laughs> so it, it was someone who claimed to be a, a TA, a teaching assistant for a Georgetown uh, professor, mm-hmm. Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., um, and this Georgetown professor was apparently offering a course to help people write a book over the summer. And you know, I showed my mom. She's, she appears in a lot of these stories. Just assume she's always, always in the background, just there. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I was like, look at the scam message, mom. Ha ha, I'll go delete it. And my mom was like, well, what if it's not a scam? Um, wh- why, why would you just delete this immediately? I'm like, well, because mom, there are a lot of scams. Mm-hmm. Um, but upon closer inspection i looked at the linkedin account it seemed legitimate it was from an actual georgetown student um i googled the name of the professor and he was real and he was yes. at georgetown uh-huh. and i was like okay so either this is a very convincing scam or there's some real merit to it 
um, they listed the name of this program. And before I clicked the link, because the links are always the scariest part, I Googled the name of the program and I found the link that they had sent me on, on their website. So I didn't even click the link. That's some online safety for you. Yeah, um, fantastic. And then obviously, you you know, just to kind of fast forward, you obviously, you you got in contact with this lady, didn't you? And then um, that's when your journey started. And she asked you to write 25,000 words, uh, 25,000 word manuscript in five months. Yeah. So um, the program that had I had been introduced to was a program called uh, Book Creators, which is run by this Georgetown professor, uh, Eric Custer. And the goal of Book Creators is to get people to a 25,000 word manuscript, which is the minimum required for a novel. Most novels are more, but it needs to be at least 25,000 words. Um, And the idea of book creators is we will teach people how to um, write on a regular basis, how to write stories that are very long. 25,000 words is a lot. Um, And we will try to get people to that 25,000 word mark so they can send their manuscript to any uh, publisher that they want. Um, although also with our partner publisher, um, like they have a previous uh, relationship. Um, and this publisher was was New Degree Press. But if you go to any legitimate publisher for novels, they're gonna say you need at least 25,000 words. And if you're going from zero, zero instruction to 25,000 words, those 25,000 words are often not gonna be very good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So you obviously you you achieved that, didn't you? And then yeah. obviously you um you got it was uh, Halloween. Halloween was our deadline. Yes. And then we reached twenty five thousand words. That's when I mean, it's just scary. That is, I mean, that is an achievement in itself. I mean, and then you got an editor, didn't you? And then obviously that editor um, decided to you know call it a day because she had some other problems or other personal problems mm-hmm. and then you had to find another editor that must have been a quite a stressful point in your life as well yeah um so the process I went through this was not the first editor I had had I had had a developmental editor which the goal of the de- developmental editor is to get you to 25,000 words you work with that editor and they get to know your project to get to the 25,000 words then um, publishers have what's an acquiring editor and they look at you know 25,000 word manuscripts and say is this something our publishing house wants uh yay or nay mm-hmm. so my acquiring editor um and they do a cold read, like they have never met you before and they just get this 25,000 word manuscript. So they can tell um, they aren't already attached to you as a person. So if you wrote something terrible, even if you're the most charming person on earth, they'll be like, no, <laughs> but my acquiring editor said yes. So I went on to the marketing and revisions editor and I had one marketing and revisions editor and we got along well, but um, she was, she encountered some health issues and said, I, I need to step down, um, which obviously was not a front against me. It's not like I don't like you and I don't want to work with you anymore. It's I have health issues. Yes. Um, and of course, I, I knew this was not her fault and it wasn't my fault, but it was still very stressful because once you have 25,000 words, you also have a deadline to refine those 25,000 words and get out to printing. Um, and my, uh, my deadline was the last week of April. Okay. So I don't remember exactly when this this story happened, but I know knew that the marketing revisions editor was a very important part. I'm like, I can't 
I can't make a good final product if I don't have a marketing and revisions editor. Uh, so I had a panic attack. I will own that. Um, and I had confidence in the story I was working on, but I felt that if I didn't have a marketing revisions editor, I wouldn't be able to deliver that story successfully. Okay. And if I made a terrible story, you know, with these characters and with this title, then I couldn't, you know, retract it and be like, that one was really bad. And mm. go like two years later and be like, this is the real version. <laughs> like, no, no, you can't do that. It's yeah. you shoot your shot once. Um, but they would not let me, you know, just hang out without a marketing revisions editor. And they were like, sorry, like, you, here's another one. We weren't going to let you just float, float by. Um, and this MRE, I also uh, got along with. But I think if that second match hadn't been so good, yeah. there's a real chance that I would have just been like, I got to, I got to step away from this. I need to. I need to calm down. I need to give it more time. Maybe I don't know. I'll work on it on my own. But yeah, I that could have been real bad. Yeah, it could have but been. It but wasn't it real bad. It wasn't real I got bad. A <laughs> okay, so let's tell our listeners a little. Well, the name of your book. Um, just a little bit conscious of your of your time, Kelly. Um, because yeah. we could go on, can't we? But it'd be great to tell our listeners a little bit about your book. I know it's called Always. Please mm-hmm. share what the you know what it's all about. Yeah. Very briefly. So it is a young adult novel about two autistic brothers uh, coming of age during a road trip. Mm-hmm. That's that's the long and short of it. I wanted to write some some sweet children, and they turned out that way. <laughs> oh, brilliant! And how's it been received? I mean, it's out there now, isn't it? And you know, yeah. yeah so how's it how's it going? I I mean, it, I think the feedback has been amazing like I made this book and not only did I make it and I feel good about it uh people have contacted me saying hey I really connected to this story Mm -hmm. um and I think it taught me some things about autism um you know most importantly that oh my gosh they're so nice they're just really sweet kids I would love to meet them uh in real life um I think we preface that we kind of wanted to talk about autism representation one of my main issues with autism representation um particularly with kind of the sheldon cooper archetype is the idea of yeah they're super smart but as a result they kind of have a disdain for other people mm-hmm. a little bit like me you know i thought i was above everyone else i was not a sweet child um, <laughs> <laughs> um honest <laughs> yeah um so I, I think if your perception of autism is, well, they don't want to be my friend anyway. So I don't, I don't need to change anything about my behavior. It's not like you might suddenly become actively mean, but if you feel like, well, I, I don't need to do anything, then you can't improve. Um, so I really wanted to counter that by presenting two characters who love each other as brothers, but also have an innate curiosity about others and Mm -hmm. a continuous trying to understand even when they keep reaching setbacks. Brilliant, brilliant. So what was the, 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 I guess, the final time, timeline that you got everything finished and it was out there? Yeah, so uh, my book's birthday um, is April 26th. 
2021. Technically, the ebook is 26th, April 26th, and then uh-huh. the physical copy is 27th. Okay. Um, I think it's a difference between like late, uh, like maybe like 11 p.m. April 26th oh. and like 1 a.m. April uh-huh. 27th. So it's uh-huh. not a ton of difference, but that's because Amazon um, can take like 24 to 48 hours to process each version mm-hmm. because you need to format the books differently for you know a pdf or epub versus you know a physical print the, the books will look a little bit different um even if they have the same content it's just that's just that's just how it works so i i count 26th as the birthday because like one no one's getting up at 1 a.m to be like oh my gosh kelly wrote a book yeah i, mean, I would hope i would hope you would be sleeping at that time um <laughs> That's what I was doing. So if someone, I mean, we've, I've had a couple of authors on here and they, and they do say, I mean, that the, the general theme is that it's literally just chipping away at it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And don't be overwhelmed. Would you agree with that? If anyone's out there yeah. who's interested in, in writing a book? Yeah, it's, writing a book is a, is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. Um, it's okay if your process of taking a book takes for instance, five years, but as long as you're making a little bit of progress at it. Um, I also think it's important to know yourself. If you are one of those people who is not terrified when they realize that I only have a day left to submit this assignment, and for some reason you feel that, okay, now I can finally work on the assignment. That is not me. But if that's you, um, and you know that you work best under a time crunch, then that's also okay. Um, for me, I think the best the best advice for me was to work at it a little bit. But I think saying the best advice for everyone is to work at it a little bit is not accurate. Um, so know how you work um, and don't feel like because you dropped something Mm-hmm. that you can't pick it back up again it's still your idea and no one's going to deny you on the grounds of it took me 10 years to write it yes like no people are going to judge what's there and if it took you one day which i don't think would happen but if you are a miracle worker and you wrote a twenty-five thousand page twenty-five thousand word manuscript in one day and it's a it's brilliant then that's going to have the same value as an equally brilliant manuscript that mm-hmm. was written over you know, six days, months, 10 years or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. what matters is the quality when it gets presented to the publisher and then yes. how you get even better from when it gets presented to the publisher to when it hits readers. Yeah. And no reader is going to say, I only read books that were written uh, within a year. Yeah. <laughs> I only appreciate speed writers. Uh, yeah, no, I guess that's, that's a really important point. Cause you don't realize that, you know, we all, you know, pick, pick, read or pick up books or whatever and you don't you don't question the, the well you're not interested really you, you don't care yeah you know, no you're, you're, you don't care you just you're just interested in you know the story or the or the content now just a couple more questions before we wrap up so my big life questions really um but before we go on to that and obviously you've mentioned your book are there any sort of other useful resources that our listeners can tap into yeah um so one book that really changed my life um, is Autism and Heals, uh, mm-hmm. which is a memoir by Jennifer O'Toole, yes. uh, who is a woman who was diagnosed with autism in adulthood. 
And she talks about how autism uh, manifests differently in people who were assigned female at birth versus those who were assigned male at birth. Um, a lot of it's also down to how these clinical criteria were developed, which was mostly with white boys. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, <laughs> and the effects of, you know, not being recognized for who you are uh, mm-hmm. in, your, in your formative years. Um, there are many personal narratives about autism out there. And I would recommend that if you're trying to figure out if you think you identify with autism, also look into someone else who has a familiar experience to you. Like if you are um, a, a black person wanting to learn about autism, I would think you would probably want to also know about a black autistic person. Uh, but this is uh, a woman who was diagnosed with autism. And okay. when I was looking at a lot of autistic personal narratives, I just found a lot of men. And uh-huh. not saying men don't have anything to say, sure. but um, I wanted to hear with someone who had multiple identities in common with me. So there's not necessarily a drought of autism personal narratives, but this is one that I personally uh, keep coming back to. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'll, I'll definitely add that to uh, the, the show notes, um, Kelly. Now, what is the biggest lesson life has taught you? Biggest lesson life has taught me. Everyone has a story inside of them. And the best person to tell your story is, is you. Hmm. Um, whether that's through self-advocacy or a form of creation, like if you make a podcast or if you write a book or if you write a song, um, you, you are an expert yeah. on you and you are an expert on how you want to tell the story, what you want to tell and how you want to tell it. Um, there, there's nothing that can disqualify you from telling what you want to tell. Yes. Telling your truth. Mm-hmm. Telling your, it's tell, telling your truth, telling your story. And um, what about three pieces of advice uh, for teenagers? Yeah. Uh, one, don't be dismissive of opportunities presented to you because you think you're unworthy of them. If someone approaches you, trust that they did so intentionally, that out of all the people, they picked you. Um, of course, you know, trust your scam, instinct true, too, because <laughs> those are not any less real, because one thing I thought was a scam wasn't. And if you need to trust the other person before you can trust yourself, that's okay. Um, two, I said this a little bit before, but yeah. the greatest expert on yourself is you. Listen to your body and mind so you can work with it to accomplish your goals. Unfortunately, we don't yet have robot bodies. So this body mind is the only one you've got. So you should try to develop some type of uh, working relationship with it. Um, Yeah. Uh, Three, uh, don't assume just because you have a certain lived experience that you are the end all be all expert on that Mm -hmm. experience. Your lived experience is valid, but you're not the only one who's had that lived experience. Learn from your community, um, learn how some people in your community have different identities that'll affect them, learn how people who even have the same identities happen to have different people around them that affect things. You are the expert on you, but you are not the expert on everything about, on on everything. (laughs) 
Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. The three powerful pieces of advice there, Kelly. Really, really, really powerful. And my last question, what's the most important message you'd like to leave with us today? Yeah. Um, if you want to learn about autism, talking to an autistic person who says, oh, sure, I'll talk about autism with you is the best place to start. Okay. Brilliant. I, I think that's pretty simple. <laughs> I think so too. I think so too. Brilliant. That's, oh, I've, well, I've learned quite a bit about autism. I mean, obviously I've been in this world for a little while because obviously my, 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 um, my younger brother, but you've kind of just brought a lot to light to me and I'm sure you have, you know, you have done so with the, our listeners as well. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Um, uh, Kelly? Yeah. Um, no one is an inscrutable alien that needs uh, a human translator. Uh, every human you talk to is still a human who mm -hmm. can communicate in some way about themselves. They are the experts on them and you are the experts on you. Oh, so. wonderful, 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 wonderful way to end the show. Kelly, thank you so much for your time, for your words of wisdom, you know, keep doing great things. And, um, yeah, good luck with, you know, with all your exams and everything. I mean, what are you, what would you like to do? What is your, what are your plans just out of interest before we, you know, before we wrap up? Have you made um, up your mind? Yeah, I'm looking at graduate school opportunities. I'm thinking maybe uh, the field of disability studies, which okay. studies how disability is depicted in media and about how um, kind of, people choose to self-express differently over time. Mm -hmm. um, it's nothing set in stone yet, but that's a field that I'm looking at. Sounds good. Sounds good. And you know what? You'll be brilliant at it. And I wish you, you. all the best. <laughs> I yeah. wish you all the best. And um, I'm just wondering if there's anything um, else. I mean, how can our listeners connect with you? Yeah, so um, I have um, a website. That's new. Um, kellycoons.weebly.com. There is a Roomba in the background. It woke up without me telling it to. Okay. Um, <laughs> hello? I'll add um, that to the show notes as well. Any, any, yeah. any other details? Yeah. Um, my website has all of my social medias. Uh, it has the link to buy my book. It's mo mostly why I made a website. So it's like, you can only share one link. I'm like, I got you. I'll exactly. make one link that makes has all the links. <laughs> <laughs> makes things so much easier, doesn't it? Instead of like yeah. posting so many different links. Brilliant. Well, as, like I said, I will obviously add that to um, the show notes. So listeners, um, we're at the end. Um, I hope you got as much value out of this conversation as much as I did. Um, obviously, remember to check out my link in my bio. Uh, which has my social media links and visit my website oyana.co.uk um, and if you're looking for a mentor transformational coach i'm your girl so you know check me out i'll be more than happy to support you uh, so until next week uh, keep learning live fearlessly practice gratitude and love unconditionally this is carol oakley